Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Welcome to the last edition of the new rules of love, sex, and dating. And it's been, like Lauren said, a really fun series. And uh, for those of you that I haven't met, my name is Danny. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we've been talking about the importance of our relationships and love and, and those who are dating, the importance of how God plays a part into that. And then, yes, we're, today we're actually talking about sex and everybody's kind of like giggling like we're in middle school. And it's like, yeah, that's right. Let's talk about it. It's going to be fun. But as we start, I, I was reminded of a really huge movie series, and it's Peter Jackson's, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings series. It's one of the largest series of all time. It actually made something like $5.9 billion over the life of its box office, not including DVDs or anything else, just the box office. And the story centers around the one ring to rule them all. This isn't the one, so don't freak out. Like, it's not going to happen anything here. But it was this quest of the many different characters trying to destroy this one ring that rules them all. And one of the most famous characters was Smeagol in the movie. And Smeagol lived by a lake, and he went fishing. And it was actually on his birthday when a friend of his with a really creative name, Deagle, he went fishing and got pulled over the side. And in the water, he found this ring buried in the sand that happened to be this magical ring that ruled them all. And Smeagol, because it was his birthday, got jealous and mad at him for finding this ring. And he said, well, give it to me for my birthday. And he said, no. So Smeagol did what we all do when we don't get our way. He killed him. And so he kills him. And, and the story goes on that this ring became his ultimate obsession. It became his precious, the precious ring that ruled them all. And, and eventually the ring left him and it was this crazy long story and it ended up with Bilbo Baggins and it ends up with uh, Frodo and uh, Gollum ends up, who was Smeagol, Gollum ends up helping Frodo go on this journey to destroy the ring. And so if you fast forward past about 47 hours of movie time, because if you ever saw it in the theater, you need, uh, you need to shave when you come out because it is an extremely long movie. But at the end of it, if you haven't seen it, it's your bad. It's been out for about 50 years now. And so what happens at the end is Gollum is at this moment when they're about to throw the ring into the fire that was going to destroy it. And he bites Frodo's finger off and he gets the ring and he starts dancing because he's so happy and he's not paying attention. He falls off into the fire and he dies and poof, there goes the ring. That's how the whole movie ends. All 47 hours of it. But there was something that was so creepy and moving and stirring about Gollum's infatuation with this ring. It, it started to change him from the inside out. And he was so passionate about it. And they were powerful. The, the, the effects were debilitating. And most importantly, they were hidden for a long time inside of his life. But we have some compassion for him because it's like, this ring is a big deal, so I get it why he's like connected to it. And he was willing to do whatever it took to get the ring, to protect it, 
to do what he had to do. And I was reminded of those movies as we were closing out this series, and I thought, how, how crazy would it have been in the movies if they, they find out how important and precious and valuable this ring was, and they're just like, nah, I'm good. You, know, you just take that. I don't, I don't really care. I don't care if the ultimate evil takes over the world. I don't care. No big deal. And they just threw the ring to the side or they put it in a box somewhere and they're just like, "Eh, if the world blows up, it blows up. Who cares? Like that would be one, a terrible movie. But it would also speak to they're missing the importance of what they were actually holding in their lives. The importance of what they had going on in their lives. And what I thought about is what's even crazier than this magical ring and this fictional story about obsessive hobbits was you and I are asked to do that with something more precious than a ring. We're asked to look at our sexuality and go, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's something to just be shared with everybody. It's, it's not all that special. I mean, it's just a normal thing in life. It's, it's not a big deal. And, and if we wouldn't go see a movie where they don't treat something precious as something precious, why do we do that in our own lives? When God offers us this precious gift called sex, and you and I oftentimes just go, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Who cares? And so today, I really want to talk about the importance of that because I believe our culture has accepted some myths. And the first myth, myth is this. If you check it out on the screen and in your notes, the myth is that sex is only physical. It's just physical, right? It's just as long as it's consensual and everybody's being safe, it's all good, right? That's, that's what our culture believes. It's not a big deal. But if you've ever had sex before, you know that ain't the case. There's something deeper that happens inside of us. As a matter of fact, from the very first relationship that we believe, as Jesus followers, we believe that God created everything and he created man and he created Adam and Eve as the first relationship. And, and look what, what God says to them in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2 and 24. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become what? One flesh. Interesting. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And, and we don't have time to unpack all of this, but I just think that's, that's an amazing thing, that the original plan that God had for relationships and for sex was that they felt no shame. And if you and I are honest, there's a lot of shame that happens when it comes to sex in our lives. So the truth is, when we look at God's word, the truth is this, that sex actually connects your body and your soul. It's so much deeper than just this physical connection. It's why we call it intimacy. Like it's deeper than that. It's not just physical. There's a connection. There's a, a oneness that comes together when you're having sex. And, and you might be here and you're like, whoa, 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 time out. I'm not believing that because I'm not all about this oneness thing. I'm not looking for oneness. I'm not trying to, like, connect souls. I'm just trying to have fun. I just want to have fun. What are you talking about this oneness? And, and God is all about the fun in our life. He's the one who actually created sex. But in his context is the way that he wants us to actually live it out. The context 
of marriage. And, and you and I, we're, we're going to unpack why over the next few minutes, because if you've been in church or, or maybe you're not a Jesus follower and maybe you, you're just here because someone invited you, which is totally awesome. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. Like you're, you're in a safe place for us to talk about it. And, and so you don't have to believe everything that I'm saying. It's, it's really okay. We want you to chew on it and be able to let God unpack it in your life. But you know that the church, for the most part, is going to tell you yeah, you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. And, and you've probably thought in your mind, you narrow-minded conservatives. You jokers. Or, or you thought even more than that, you hypocrites. You jokers. Ain't nobody living like that. No, there's nobody in this world that's not having sex before marriage. There's nobody that's doing these things that you claim as a church. And, and that's fine for you to believe that. But I think the main issue that happens is that the, the church, a lot of times, we, we give you the rule but we don't necessarily tell you why, why God feels this way, why we believe that. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. And, and so I'm excited about that. And to help us, we're going to head over to uh, a New Testament book. The New Testament is in the, the back half of the Bible, and it, it's in 1 Corinthians 6. And 1 Corinthians 6 is actually a letter that is sent to the church in Corinth. And I want to give you a little bit of context because a lot of times when we read the Bible, we don't understand like the background of what's happening in the story. It's, it's the beauty of Hollywood is that Hollywood gives you all of this background before they just give you the, the plot, right? And so this is what I want to do for you today. And, and Corinth was actually a really, really crazy city with a really, really crazy culture. So when Paul is writing to this church, they're in an environment that I don't think even you and I would be able to wrap our heads around because this culture was really centered around this Greek and Roman belief system of dualism. And dualism is this idea that your soul and your body were two separate things. They're two completely separate things. So in their mind, in this belief system that they had, whatever you did with or to or however with your body, had no implications on your soul. So in their mind, whatever they did with their body wasn't a big deal because it had no bearing on their soul. You can imagine what that led to. If, if you thought in your life, no matter what I did with my body, it's not going to impact me deeper in my soul, wouldn't, you, you and I probably would live pretty crazy. And so that's what they did. And so they also worshipped all these different gods and one of their main gods was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the goddess of passion, the goddess of sex. And, and in this culture, in Corinth, it was famous for this temple. And you guys may be coming to church, and this is the first time you've kind of been in a church like this before, and you're like, this is, I'm, I'm trying to feel this out, I'm trying to be okay with it. Like the church around Aphrodite's temple was even weirder, because what would happen is that you were able to come to this temple and pay prostitutes to have a religious moment and sleep with them. And this was just a very normal part of their culture. I was researching it, and there's, there's a belief that there was over a thousand prostitutes that were available at any time in this temple. And so if you, you believed in dualism and you believed that it had no bearing on your soul and you had this opportunity where you can roll up to church and be like, hey, son, you chill over there. I'll be back in a little while. Crazy things would happen, and that's exactly what was happening around the city and around the church. So when Paul writes these words to the church, 
it's completely foreign to them. They're brand new believers, and they're like, what are you talking about? So that's the context of the words that Paul is writing to him. And he says this in verse 15. Do you not know, have you not heard, maybe no one told you, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. And the, the believers in Corinth would have been like, whoa, time out. I'm not into this oneness thing. Paul, what are you talking about? Are you serious? That is not at all what we think. Just like in our culture, they, they, they think it's crazy that we say, hey, we're probably going to wait till we're married to have sex because that's kind of the plan that God had. And they're like, you weirdos, you are crazy. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know this already. You know this in your own life. Because if you've ever had sex outside the context of what we believe God has set up, if you've ever done that, you know that something deeper inside you happens. It's not just physical. You know that in any relationship, have a conversation with anybody. Oh, things were going right, great, and, then, and then, then we had sex and, and everything just changed, right? It changes something because there's something deeper that happens inside of us. So he continues, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Is this beauty of, of God being with us, Jesus being with us. It's what we just sang about. This is what he's saying. Jesus is with you. He's there with you. So because of that, flee from sexual immorality. And you're like, okay, what? We don't say flee unless we have a dog, and we don't say immorality all that much. Paul is saying run away from anything that is outside of the context of what God has for your life. And, and if you've ever been to church before, if you've ever met a Christian, you, you know that this is why we believe it. But here, you know that's what we believe. But here's the why. Here's the why that changes everything, because I believe it's going to resonate with you. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Why? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Sexual sin is different than all other sins because we sin against ourselves. We sin against our true nature. Sexual sin actually cuts deeper in our lives than any other. It leaves more scars. It pulls us further away from our purpose and from the calling that God has in our lives. Just think about it. What other sin in your life causes you to question your identity completely? What other sin goes, I don't think I'm this, I think I'm that. Only sexual sin, because it goes deeper than any other sin. With that said, we have to understand that sexual sin is a big deal, but sexual sin is not unforgivable. Because it was actually Jesus, when he was hanging out in, in, in front of the temple, that the, the religious guys came to him and they, they drug a woman in front of him who was caught in adultery. Like, not someone who was like, hey, there's a rumor, Jesus. No, like, they, I'm assuming they were just, like, kicked in the door and, like, drug her out when she's with another man. That's not his wife or her husband. And they're like, Jesus, we caught her. And Jesus, we don't have time to unpack the whole story, but Jesus basically says, okay, whichever one of you has never sinned in your life, you go ahead and throw the first stone to kill her. And everybody just 
quietly slips away. And Jesus is left with her and he says, go, I forgive you, but sin no more. Turn away from that life. Because here's the the thing that you need to write down. While sexual sins are not unforgivable, they can make life unbearable. It can make life unbearable. And what happens is the more that you have sex outside the context of what God wanted you to have, it, it, you're tempted to treat it as just physical. It's just part of life. And you'll start to define your relationships based on sex. Well, good sex means good relationship, right? False. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that at all. And, and here's the deal. Married folks in the room, we know this. We know this completely because you'll, you'll hear them say this story, and, and I'm sure all of us can, can share this with you at some point. You know, before we got married, things were hot and heavy. I mean, we couldn't keep our hands off each other. It was crazy. It was amazing. She was on me every day, and I, he was so loving, and he was so kind, and it was awesome. And then we got married, and I don't know what happened. It ain't the same anymore. I I have no idea what changed. I get denied more than when I'm trying to renew my license at the DMV. Like, what just happened? No, sir, come back with your grandma's birth certificate. You're not getting it today, right? Like, what happens in our marriage that all of a sudden, when it was hot and heavy and passionate, and then all of a sudden we get married, and it's like, ooh, not so much. Because sex isn't just physical. Why? That, that chemistry, that sectional, sexual connection actually covered up the flaws in our actual relationship. It covered up the relational inadequacies. And when we get married, we get to see each other's flaws for what they are. And here's the reality. Ain't nobody turned on by bad credit and nasty habits. You can't cover anything anymore. We, we're together. We are, you see it all. And there's not a whole lot of excitement there if we don't have our relationship together. And this is what this whole series has been about. Finding the right person is impossible if you don't become the right person. We have to work on us. We have to fix our issues and not think that chemical romance and physical attraction all of a sudden is going to fix all of our issues. Eventually, we have to deal with our true emotions And we have to deal with our compatibility and how we live life together. Here's another myth that our our culture believes. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Like we, how could you possibly get married without even knowing and without like having that squared away? But but here's the deal. Those of you who are dating, when you get married, your spouse isn't going to go, whoo, I'm so glad you slept with so many people that you've got this down pat. You know what? So did I. So let's go into like some competitions together and just see what happens. That doesn't happen. Nowhere in our marriage do we look at each other and go, whoo, I'm glad you slept with a bunch of people. That makes things so much better. Our relationship is awesome now, right? You, you look, look at this. Your sexual experience may enha- enhance your sexual knowledge but it won't enhance your actual relationship. That's the hard part. Sex is easy. The actual relationship, transparency and honesty. You could be great in bed, but stink at being a loving and supportive husband. 
good job one time a week? What about the rest of the time when we're required to love sacrificially for our, our wives? There, it's this bold-faced lie from the enemy that, that has this agenda to destroy our relationships when we believe that, hey, we're just practicing to make sure we're ready for what? What are we practicing for? Practice doesn't make purpose, make perfect. This is actually, here's the truth. Romance is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. Romance is fueled by the idea that it's just us. That it's just us. Think about it. When we say, baby, I only have eyes for you, it means something, right? You're the most beautiful woman in the world. You're so amazing. You're the best husband that's ever existed, ever before time. But could you imagine if your girlfriend looked at you and was like, I, I only have eyes for you and your roommate. Or baby, baby, I, I love you so much. I can't imagine life without you. Except if your brother's available. Like, is he, is he available now? That would completely change everything. So this idea that we need practice is, is a lie. But here's the deal, married, married folks, we're not off the hook either. Married folks, we're not, we're not off the hook either. But here's the question for us. Who are you letting into your marriage bed? Who else is in your mind and in your bed? Another lie that we believe, uh, even as, as married folks, is that as long as what I'm doing only impacts me, everyone's okay. And I've, I've talked to so many guys who say, my, my, my pornography addiction is not a big deal. It's just between me. It's no, it actually enhances my sex life with my wife. Lie. Guys, guys we, have to, we have to talk about this. For, for so many people, we believe this lie that, that once we get married, once there's someone there every day, that all of a sudden, all of those addictions that we had in the past, they're going to disappear. That doesn't happen either. Standing before one another and making a vow and a promise to each other doesn't change our addiction. And the reality is that things like pornography actually impacts our brains different than anything else in life. It, what ends up happening scientifically is that it creates a new pathway in our brain that can't actually be fulfilled by a real-life woman or a real-life man. Don't believe me? Go look it up. Who are you inviting into your bed. Because that's an important thing for us to process. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's not that. Maybe you're emotionally or mentally attached to someone else. There's an old flame that surprisingly slides into your DMs, and you just got in a fight with your spouse, and it's like, huh, I wonder what life would have looked like if I was with them. I, I wonder what would happen if, if I wasn't with her or if I wasn't with him and and just all of a sudden I just I wonder maybe I married the wrong person and I just need the right one and then we fall into this right person myth all over again because we think that if I could just find the right person obviously not my spouse but if I can find the right person they would be the ones who make it all right you see the cycle that we fall into we started the first week saying the right person myth is such a lie because we have to be the right person. We have to work on ourselves. 
Paul says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, do what? Honor God with your bodies. Therefore, do what? Honor. We talked about this last week. Honor protects. Honor protects. What are you willing to do to protect your relationship? Honor chooses love over selfishness. Honor chooses to to defer your own so that you can choose to do what's best for your spouse, to, to care for them. Honor chooses sacrifice over demanding. So what does that look like in our relationships now? Look at this on the screen. If you're single, it means this. Because I honor you, I won't be a regret that you have to tell your spouse about in a couple years. Think about how that would change your dating life. Think about how different your dating life would be if when you're in the hot and heavy moment and things are going awesome and we're at the door and the keys, you remember a hitch, and it's like if they dingle the keys and they play around with the keys, then all of a sudden that means like you're invited in. Like maybe it's like hitch for you and you're at that moment and you look at them and say, you know what? I honor you too much to be a regret that you have to tell your spouse about one day. This was fun. This was awesome. I feel the chemistry, but you know what? I honor you too much to be a regret. So let's wait. Let's wait. I'm just going to kiss you real good, and I'm going to go home. Married folks, because I honor you, I'll protect our relationship even when you're not looking. Even when you're not looking, I'm going to honor you. When that cute girl hands us the coffee, I'm going to honor my wife. When that crazy person slides into our DMs, decline, denied, see you later, boo-boo. It ain't going to happen. When we go to, to look at that on our phone, when we go to our computer, when we go to that spot when, when our husbands or our wives have gone to sleep, baby, I, I honor you too much to do something that will hurt us even when you're not looking. Last week we saw in, in chapter 13 of this same letter, this same book of the Bible, what love really looks like. But I wanted to, to leave you with the words that Paul says when he finished that, that section. After talking about what love really was and, and what it looks like and how it happens. And if you missed that, you can head to the podcast or just read it yourself. First Corinthians chapter 13. We've all heard it at weddings, but the impact of what love truly is. And he says this at the end. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When I became a man, when I grew up, when I stopped believing the lies, when I stopped playing games, I stopped thinking like a child. Oh, that's, it's just me. It's just, it's just between me. It's not a big thing. When I thought like a child, I acted like a child. And you know what? You and I are grown folks. We don't have to think like a child and pretend we have the opportunity to step into it. We, we can continue in our sin against our own selves and hurt our present and future relationships. Or we can believe God at what he says and obey him and take it for real. 
And the beauty of God is he's not going to force that on you. God's not going to go, poof, now you have to believe it. No, it's, it's the beauty of him that he goes, you can choose me or you can choose yourself. It's totally fine. It's totally up to you. But don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I have the best in mind for you? Why don't you just trust me? So our challenge today is what story do you want to tell about your life? What story do you want to tell about your lives? For those who are single in the room, what do you want to tell your future spouse? You know, I, I lost my virginity when I was younger, and, and then I just kind of did the same thing that everybody did. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I slept with a couple people. A couple. I don't really remember the number, but, you know, it was a couple, but it was special. It was, it was really an important. It was just great. It was never out. Of, and then we just build a relationship on lies with the hope that our spouse never finds out the truth. For us that are married, we, we, we can just get to this point where we go, I, I, let, I let sex be my main focus, and I never actually worked on our relationship. And because our sex life wasn't good, then our relationship wasn't good. And so I was just mad all the time, so I just quit. And I looked for other things to kind of fill that void because I just needed my, my, my needs met. If my needs were met, then, then things would be better. Uh, do we want to tell our kids when they start dating that that's the way that we married? That's the way we've lived out our relationships? Or do we want to tell the story as a single person that, hey, when I was younger, I lost my virginity and, and I made some mistakes. But then at some point I heard this crazy guy at this random church that said, God actually had a different plan for me. And, and you know what? That day I decided, I think I'm going to take that serious and see what that life looks like because what I'm doing isn't working. And so I took Jesus serious and he changed my life. And, and from that point on, my relationships were completely different. And so, yeah, I made mistakes in the past, but I'm looking at you saying for the last blank amount of time, I've been building and preparing myself for you for when we get married. Is that the story you want to tell your spouse? That sounds like a beautiful story. For us that are married, we could tell the story that I, I saw that sex wasn't the solution to our relational issues. And I actually started to care about my husband and my wife. And we started to work on us. And I started to work on me. And I kind of unpacked the junk that was in my life and, and the decisions and the ways that I was thinking. And, and I took Jesus seriously. And, and things started changing in our relationship. And, and we're stronger and more connected than we ever were. And sex is fire now, too. Is that the story? that you want to tell your kids when they ask, hey, mom, dad, I think I really like this girl. What's the story we want to tell them? What's the story we want to help them live out? Here's the last thing, the new rules of love, sex, and dating starts with love as a verb, transparency as a principle, and un wavering honor as a goal. That's the new rules. Well, what about, what about, no, 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 that's the rules. Are you loving in action? Are you loving the way that Paul unpacks? Well, what about this? No, I'm not worried about the rules and regulations. Are you being transparent? Are you hiding anything in your relationship? 
Mm. Are you honoring regardless of whether they deserve it in the moment? Love as a verb, transparency as a principle, unwavering honor as a goal. But it starts with us making a choice. There's a, a term that that a lot of pretty contemporary churches don't use this word all the time, but it's an important word that we have to understand that the Bible introduces to us. And it's the idea of repenting, of repentance. And we don't talk about it a lot because it's uncomfortable at times to say, hey, Jesus loves us, but he wants us to actually take a step to change. He wants us to turn away from the things that we've been doing. And the challenge for us is not to just hear this and go, oh, that, oh that's a good idea. That's, that's, that's a good idea. I think I'll take a little bit of that and, and, and just see how that works. It doesn't work that way. These are the new rules. You play by them or you don't, but you don't get the benefit of not doing it all the way. And so what repentance is, is us actually going, Jesus, I'm going to stop doing things the same way that I've been doing, and I need you to help me turn completely around and live my life different. And he'll do that. It's the beauty of our relationship with him. And so I wanted to give you a chance to do that. And on your seat, there's a little piece of paper that I'd love for you to be able to, to, to just kind of take a second to think about. And, and maybe for you, whatever you need to write on the paper is not anything to do with this conversation. Maybe it's not about sex. Maybe it's, maybe it's about the way that you've been living out your marriage. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's something in your life that you've been holding on to. And today you're saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to surrender that to you. I'm going to surrender this to you. And, and I'd love for you to just write whatever it is that you want to write down on the piece of paper. It's, it's not for anybody else to see. We're going to have a box up here that we, you can drop it in at the end of the service. But there's one other thing that we wanted to provide for you. is an opportunity for someone to be able to pray with you. Maybe you're in the room and, and you're married and you just want someone to pray with you that, hey, we want to put some of these things in action and we want to have God and you pray with us that, that we are able to live it out. Or maybe you're single and you're dating or, or maybe you've got a job interview this week and you just want someone to pray with you that it goes well. Whatever it is, we want to provide an opportunity for you to have people here who can pray with you. Maybe you, you've been dealing with sickness and you, you want someone to pray over you that, that God will bring healing to your life. We're going to create this opportunity for you to be able to have someone pray with you and to be able to write down whatever it is in your life that you're going, hey, God, I want to just surrender this to you. And I'm, I'm going to do everything I can with you to turn around. Let's pray. Jesus, this conversation isn't super comfortable for anybody in the room. But I thank you that you have a plan. I thank you that the context in which you saw love, sex, and dating was one that gave us an opportunity to lean on you and gave us an opportunity to find more purpose in how we're living our lives. God, I pray right now for every person in this room, regardless of whether they're married, whether they're dating, 
I pray that we would we would take it serious the way that you view our relationships not because you're some angry God that's furious because we make decisions that are different than you not not because of anything except you know that we hurt ourselves when we live outside of your plan so God I pray right now that you would help us to live out these new rules of love that as we put it into action we'll see you change our lives and Lord I pray that as as the prayer team comes to the front God that you would just meet us here in this place that as we carve out a couple minutes to pray that you would speak to us God I pray that you would bring healing you would bring direction that you'd bring strength that you bring hope and that truly we would leave this place differently than we came in maybe because we're putting something into action that we heard or because of what happens in prayer together Jesus, we thank you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.